0: Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit W-Y-N-N-Bet.com to start winning.
1: You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle
0: and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again
1: on Overtime Media.
0: Mile high. Hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dub Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me, as per usual, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. And also, guys, you got another screen, another face on the screen here. We'll get to that here in just a second. But Eric, first things first, how are we doing, man?
2: Doing pretty good. Very tired. Getting ready to celebrate the wife's birthday tomorrow, you know, just after Mother's Day, which is oh so great um but yeah i'm super excited super excited for our guests to join us and everyone in chat just make sure you guys get those linebackers and running backs don't matter going yes because because our guest absolutely loves that
0: yeah it speaking of our guest here tonight is uh coach luke polglaze of college over in uh, pennsylvania uh D- division three school but has coached linebackers cornerbacks wide receivers running backs as well uh luke it's been a while since we've had you on the show you've been on what three or four different times over the past couple of years. How's it going, man? It's been a long time. It's it's good, guys. I appreciate you having me back on. I was actually trying
1: to think about that earlier. I, was, I think I settled on four years in a row now, but I might be off. But um, <laughs> whatever it is, thankful thankful to be back and appreciate you guys having me. Yeah,
0: man. It's, it's I, always a blast to have you on, dude.
2: I want to say this is the fourth time we've had you on in three years. Because there was one year we had you on in the spring, and then there was one where we had you on in the fall.
0: That, yeah.
1: it was, that, it was eh, I'm, I'm usually pretty busy in the fall. It might have been the summer.
2: <laughs> It it was like mid, it was like late summer, early fall, like end of July, early August, or something like that.
1: I was gonna say it's Alaska, so a summer's basically fall anyway. Yeah,
2: because it it was after we drafted Jerry Judy and KJ Hamlet because we wanted to get you on and talk about them and how they fit the offense at the time.
0: Sounds right to me, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a great show too, guys. Make sure you go back and check that out if you get the opportunity too. But uh, today we have a great show lined up for you guys. We're going to get into this new Nathaniel Hackett offense and at least per the reports that we've gotten from him, his own words at the at the press conferences and stuff like that with what they're trying to do offensively, specifically up front in the running game. We have a running backs coach who also helps us kind of talk about Javante Williams and what his fit was uh, going into the Broncos this last season. So it's going to be a gas. Guys, I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. But before we do, got to say hello to everybody here in the chat. We've got uh, Nathan uh, Nathan Noble jumping in here. Orange Crush jumping in here as well on YouTube. We've got Paul in the house saying hey, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, hi, Eric, Lance, and Scott. Always enjoy uh, Coach Luke joining us. Hello, Broncos country. What's up, Paul? It's great to see you. We've got uh, Chase Wellner in the house. Good evening, Broncos country. Dylan Von Arks, got to give a shout out. To Dylan Arks and a congratulations to him for uh, being joined on as an intern, as a writer at milehighhuddle.com. He's been doing a great job for us, moderating the podcast chat and stuff like that, helping out on Facebook as well. So, Dylan, congratulations, and thank you again for joining us. And thank you for the content you've been putting out. My goodness, you've got a couple of really good banger articles, including the one breaking down the schedule that just hit earlier. I believe it was today that that article dropped. Uh, Nathaniel Cotta saying hola over on Facebook, Dan Ward as well, saying hello, everybody. Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. Uh, Guys, make sure you guys get at us on Twitter by finding me at SandersonMHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle and also for Coach Luke at Luke Polglaze. Um, also, guys, at DVDD underscore pod, that's a podcast account where you guys are going to uh find out what we're talking about every single Friday. Also, guys, at Mile High Huddle, that's the mother account where you get breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos uh film breakdowns. I've got a Nick Benito film piece coming here right down the in the next couple of days. I've just got to finalize the the gifts and stuff, so check that out at Mile High Huddle when it drops here in the next couple of days. Um, Anything like that regarding the Broncos, you're going to find it at Mile High Huddle on Twitter. Uh, Facebook users, make sure you go to facebook.com forward slash Mile High Huddle Pod. That's the podcast account there. Uh, get yourself in on that conversation on that as well. Now, with that, first things first, Luke. As a running back, running backs coach, what is the first thing you're looking for with a running back to fit into a wide zone scheme? I, actually, actually, you know what? Let's break down the wide zone scheme first and what it actually entails.
1: Yeah, well, you know the wide zone scheme, the kind of the outside zone trend, really started. Um, you think of the kind of the classic is the Broncos teams of the '90s, right? Uh, Alex Gibbs is kind of the forefather of that. He kind of brought that with him everywhere he went. The late legendary NFL offensive line coach, and and really the the premise of the the outside zone play is that you want to create. Kind of lateral horizontal movement you want to be able to displace the defense because ultimately inside zone is a very tight play right that happens in a very tight constricted space Outside zone, you're going to find a lot of the same blocks, a lot of the same scheme in terms of how the offense is going to react to the defense. The only difference is that happens on a much wider track. So basically, they're trying to get the defense to flow. They're trying to get them to either overflow or underflow because the running back can adjust off of that. The great thing about that is it sets up everything that you want to do or everything that you can do from a play action standpoint, from a boot standpoint. Like it, it does a lot to have, you know. Elephants on parade, right? The offensive line, creating those double teams with quick horizontal steps It's going to look like a lot of different things for defense. It's hard for that to, to react.
0: very good
2: Yeah, right. and definitely that's one thing like when we, during the draft time and everything, when we talk about lateral agility, ability to out in space, hitting your landmarks, that's why it's so important when you're looking at an outside zone scheme. Um, so when, I mean, it's been, what, two months now since you asked me about coming on? In the first, like, we were talking about it and you're making the joke about how you uh, felt like you, well, I can't remember how it was, but how we were, so, it was something along the lines because we hadn't asked you to come on yet. Um, and we're trying to figure out something. And one thing that is, we know with the topic, it's Javante Williams fitting it. Everybody's making this assumption that Javante Williams is going to be this tremendous fit in the outside zone scheme. There's some analysts out there that, Nick Kendall being one of them, just throw him under the bus, aren't sure that he can act, you know, as Jeff Noyes, Noyes says, can't fit into any scheme. Well, last year, one of the things with running backs is the vision, especially in the outside outside zone scheme, is being able to find that hole and hit it. And that was a big concern with Javante Williams uh, last year in the inside zone that they were running. The gap stuff is that he sometimes the run a defender's missed the lane. I remember a while ago, you and I were talking about if a running back can actually improve that vision. And you actually opened my eyes a little bit saying that they can. So if you want to go cover how they could actually help themselves improve their vision.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I don't know if I remember the quite the magic words that I would have said to uh, change your mind so easily, since I know that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. <laughs> um, I, to me, honestly, the first thing that you talk about, and for me as a, as a D3 football coach, The number thing, number one thing we talk about when guys have a difficulty adjusting is the speed of the game. Like the speed of the game happens incredibly differently at high school versus college. And it happens differently in college versus the NFL. So part of it is just recognizing, you know, vision wise, what's happening in front of you. And the, the more reps, the more opportunities you get to do that in the NFL, the more you're going to actually be able to read things and see things happening faster, um, now, to me, like running back overall boils down to kind of three really important things is vision, decisiveness, and lateral agility. You could run a, a power scheme and those three things are great to have. You could run an inside zone scheme. Those three things are great to have. You could, you could run the triple option to a certain extent, right? Those three things are great to have. So you're gonna be able to improve your lateral agility because you're getting into you know, an NFL environment with you know NFL caliber strength and conditioning staffs. A little bit, you know, not everybody's going to go from being stiff laterally to incredibly smooth laterally, but you're going to be able to improve that decisiveness. To me, that ties into vision. And so the more opportunities, the more reps these players get as they come into the NFL, the the better off they're going to be. And and ultimately you're going to get into different coaching staffs uh, or into different systems with different coaching staffs. They're going to teach you to read inside zone or whatever the scheme is a million different ways. I mean, I can tell you guys from firsthand experience, I have heard off the top of my head, I don't know, 15, 20 different ways to run inside zone, which is is such an incredibly basic day one concept for so many teams. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to learn different ways to do it. And the more exposure you get to different systems, the more it's going to start to click a little bit more for those guys.
2: Yeah, real quick, got to give a shout out to Lawrence Rivera here. Says, what's up, guys? Just showing some love, trying to watch as much as possible today since I got a cartoon car meet tonight. Well, thank you for joining us, Lawrence. Hopefully everything goes well at your cartoon car meet. Travis Weber comes in, says, good evening, Lance, Eric Scott, and welcome, Luke. Happy Friday, Broncos country. Personally, I think Javante should be running back one, but it will be a battle in camp. May the best running back win. And definitely. And I mean, I'm pretty sure all three of us here are expecting Javante Williams to be the number one running back. That was kind of telling with how long they were willing to wait with Melvin Gort. He's been brought in to be that complimentary back. So There'll be a battle. Maybe Melvin Gordon is able to take over the job, but it's it's seems to be Pookie's Pookie's job to lose. So going back to the whole vision aspect of it, what you what basically what you told me is that you can always coach up vision with just drilling into them their landmarks and hitting those landmarks. So with Javante Williams, let's get let's just get right into it. How do you see his fit in an outside zone scheme? Honestly,
1: I think the one thing that kind of jumped out to me from watching the film from the 2021 season is that the Broncos actually ran a, a pretty solid amount of different concepts. Like they they didn't just major in one thing and live within that. They ran um, you know, outside zone, they ran duo, split zone, inside zone, counter, a little bit of power, but kind of throughout that, the one thing that jumped out to me first and foremost was just how decisive he was. You know, he saw holes, he saw flow, he recognized that already effectively. Honestly, in, in some senses for, for an offense, outside zone is, is – and, and I'll stop myself here real quick. As a coach, to me, like wide zone and outside zone are more or less the same thing. There's some really like minor distinctions, but I kind of use those terms interchangeably. Um, so when he when he was an outside zone runner, for me, that's, that's an easier play in a sense for a running back because it makes holes and makes landmarks and cutback lanes so much more defined because, again, things are happening in space linebackers have got to be absolutely perfect in how they fit the play downhill, because if they're wrong, even a little bit, one way or the other, as long as you got a running back with good vision, he's going to make him wrong. Um, so the, again, like he understands the timing of plays. He understands patience of of plays. I think it's, it's easy to to say for a young guy coming into the NFL, that his timing or his patience could be off. But I think that's one thing where he actually really adapted to the flow and to the speed of the game really quickly. Um, and, you know, in terms of his fit, like he he already has a lot of the components that I think are going to make him successful. Um, you know, if I was if I was a real draft analyst, uh, if I was really still in the business, I would I, I should I should pull up my notes from the last time I came on the podcast when I actually talked about him pre draft. When you guys had me talk about him, yeah. uh, I might I might have to pull that up and kind of see compare my notes um, from from when he was at UNC versus now.
0: Well, and one of the things that I noticed with him at UNC was when they did run outside zone, which they did quite quite frequently, quite honestly, uh, his his patience in the backfield and his decisiveness when he did see something, he would let the play develop in front of him. That was something I really liked with him. So it does lead me to believe that he's going to be a, a fairly decent fit in in this offense if they're going to run a lot of that outside zone. And going into last year when he did run outside zone, he did a really good job. And those were typically the runs where he had his most success in the, long, the, the longer runs that he did have. Now, something else that comes into it is something that you just said, how the linebackers fit. And with Javante Williams, as far as his vision and his tackle breaking ability, is this something that you can see him break a lot more of those longer runs in this particular kind of an offense?
1: Yeah, ultimately, it kind of, when it comes to outside zone, it it really depends on the guys in front of you. Um, Because if, if you have offensive linemen who are able to create beneficial angles, and you you get the linebackers and you seal that thing, then yeah, you're going to be able to go. Now, if you get a defense that that strings the run out where he's still moving laterally, he's still waiting for a cutback lane, and now he's starting to chop his feet because he doesn't have one. That's where that play is not going to be as effective, right? So by by design, outside zone is meant to stretch to stretch to stretch and stress the defense horizontally, right? It's supposed to force them wide. It's supposed to give them difficulties, but at the same time, like the offensive line has to understand the angles of the, of the play, right? Like they have to understand that they're going to try and reach the defender, right? They're going to try and get across a defender play side. And if not, they're going to make that nice and defined for the running back to be able to cut back. Um, So to me, like, I think that's one thing that's really interesting with, with watching him is I think he's decisive, but I think he can almost put his foot in the ground a little half second sooner and that's kind of one thing where I'm I'm not inside his helmet, right? I don't know if that's – he's having difficulty understanding his reads, he's getting cloudy reads, or he doesn't know what he's looking at. I don't think he – I don't think it's the last one. I, I think he knows what he's looking at. I'm just – I would be curious to see from his perspective if it's, you know, vision and just kind of taking an extra half moment for that to translate to him mentally, again, being at a different speed of game, or if that's more getting cloudy reads from the guys in front of him.
2: Hmm. Yeah, if I remember correctly, he was – either towards the end of the season or just after the season in the exit press exit press conferences interviews that they did he talked about it a little bit and I remember him saying that the that he had was not necessarily struggling but there were issues there with him adapting to the NFL level with the speed of the game and everything and UNC I mean even Alabama to the NFL there's a different there's a different speed of game there which is why all this oh the worst team in the NFL would lose to the Alabama would lose to Alabama no, they would They'd still whip them because the speed of the game is different, and can go into that. But that's not the point of the topic, anyway. So with Javante Williams in this, um, in an outside zone scheme, I'm kind. Of, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here this year. Do you think he hits that? Is it? Do you think this is a scheme that he can easily, easily break that one k rushing mark record, provided he stays healthy?
1: I'm no math guy, but a thousand divided by 17 is a lot better equation than a thousand divided by 16. So I think <laughs> at minimum these days, like if you're talking about a good running back, like, yeah, they should absolutely be able to hit a thousand yards every year. Like I think that should be a base expectation. I don't even think a thousand year, a thousand yards a year is that special anymore. Honestly. Um, Yeah. I, I absolutely think again, like I don't want to say that outside zone is a crutch to a running back because it's not, it's still an incredibly yeah. complex scheme as, as any run play is when you're going up against gigantic, NFL level NFL caliber athletes. But I do think it is a scheme that helps running backs. And I think it's a scheme that he's well suited for. Um, honestly, like, I think maybe the one thing that he's carried over the best from college to the pros, as I kind of skimmed through my notes, he's still incredibly physical, like he, he does a great job of kind of the, the technical term is what we call getting behind his pads. Um, which is basically he, he lowers a shoulder, right? He's, he's going to get behind his pads. He's going to allow his pads to, to do the talking. Like he's a hard guy to bring down, you know, ankle tackles, just grabbing at him. That's not going to bring him down. No matter what the scheme is, he's going to be an issue to tackle for a defense.
2: Yeah. So my question didn't come through like super, super clear on this. Um, but I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, a thousand yards in a 17 game season should be pretty easy to hit, um, last year he missed a little bit of action because of an injury melvin gordon did both of them managed to break 900 yards 918 903 um or 900 yeah 903 for javante williams 918 for gordon on each of them on 203 carries. so mm-hmm. realistically i mean that should be the expectation for him and it, it, it was my question was more so on the lines of how much the outside zone scheme can like help him hit that mark
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think, like I said, the physicality is there that helps him the fact that he's decisive and he's so physical with the way he runs. Again, I think those are things to translate for him, but I think his vision is good. Um, I think, like I said, he was a half step slow at times. Again, he was a rookie, like he's a rookie who had a 900 yard season. I think he's going to get better. I think those are things he can improve upon again, like his, his ability to, to get vertical is good. I think with his vision, he's going to be able to do it a half step sooner or a half second sooner. And again, I think that's going to really be able to benefit him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Got a a couple of chats here I want to grab. Gary Leeds Palmer jumping in here saying, uh, welcome, Luke. And a shout out to Lance, Eric, and Scott. Scott's not with us tonight. We're missing Scott uh, behind the scenes here. But uh, we'll manage without him, at least for a little while. Hopefully he jumps in here in a little bit. But uh, thanks for being there. Uh, Go Broncos and let's ride. And then Travis Weber jumping in here. I think he's got his question for He says, uh, with the scheme Denver will be running, who all do you feel will excel on the offensive line and who will struggle? To me, I feel the offensive line is the engine that makes the offense go. And I want to kind of piggyback off of this and give you kind of a two-pointed question here. You had mentioned something about the Broncos this last year and their offensive scheme, running multiple different schemes in the running game, like specifically duo, a lot of gap stuff. They ran counter, they ran some, uh, some wide zone, some inside zone, stuff like that as far as the offensive line getting into a rhythm, is that a good way to, you know, get them going and, and continue with the consistency or is it better to have that one identity where you can, you know, instead of saying, you know, on this look, we're going to run this play or just say, you know what, to hell with it. If it's third and three, we're running outside zone. If it's first and 10, we're running outside zone. Is there a situational play call that you, you think we're running multiple different schemes benefits, or do you want to have that singular identity? I think
1: it's a bit of both to be honest. Um, you know, I I, I don't want to oversimplify offensive line play because I have several good friends who are offensive line coaches who are probably <laughs> going to be waiting behind that door right there to take care of me if I if I misspeak <laughs> here. Um, but you know at the end of the day, like offensive offensive line play, if you boil it down, there's double teams, there's pulls, right? There's single blocks you know, offensive line boils down to a bunch of schemes that more or less are the same fundamental components, the same fundamental building blocks. So to me, if you have an offensive line that struggles to communicate, running a lot of different things is going to put a lot of strain on them, right? It's it's going to put a lot on them in terms of being able to communicate, all being on the same page in terms of them all understanding the angles. At the same time, if you run a lot of schemes, if you're a defense and you're seeing split zone, you're seeing uh, counter, you're seeing insert, right? Those are all three plays that look similar, but they function very differently in terms of what's happening in front of you and how you have to fit the run. That's not even getting into power counter outside zone, like duo, all of the rest of it. Right? So th- I think there's a trade-off. I do think you have to to have a number of schemes. You can't just be a one scheme team, but I do think you have to have a bread and butter that when you say, all right, what are we going to run? What are we going to be best at? You have You have to have something that you can go back to at the end of the day. But I do believe there has to be some variety. You have to have some ability to say, all right, you know, we're not hitting them on inside zone today. Let's see power. Let's see how they react to pulling guards." now.
2: Yeah, exactly. And that was an issue last year is that you have to have have enough of an identity, enough of a speciality that you can just turn and rely on that. But but you want to be able to keep defenses guessing as you kind of touched on there. And last year, that was the big issue is that it was so such a mixed bag, such a grab bag of the running offense that players started speaking out against it. Um, I think Garrett Bowles, Dalton Reisner and Graham Glasgow all at one point mentioned about how they're being asked to do way too much in the run game just because there's no identity and lacking an identity on the offense was just a big issue for so many people again I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit since we kind of asked you to, I asked you specifically for running backs and wide receivers but the Travis Weber asked a question about the offensive line when you're watching the running game what offensive linemen stood out to you as being the biggest issue
0: there's one answer
1: <laughs> oh man I I honestly this you're really putting me on the spot here because I, I I don't know if I could tell you like specifics as much as anything um I'm going to give the cop-out answer and say as a D3 coach, the best one was minors as a D3 guy, but that's uh, that's not based on any kind of film study. That's just rooting for a, for
2: well, a guy. That, that's a that's a pretty safe guess because when he took the field, it actually helped settle things down on the offensive line. It was more so trying to get a shot out at there at the, the center, Lloyd Cushenberry, who yep. hopefully is getting replaced this year. I mean, short really? arms, center-only prospect or center-only player, that just doesn't have the athleticism, the lateral agility to really thrive in an outside zone scheme. So if that's what they are going to, it seems like that he's going to be moving on. Anyways, you, you messaged us in that you had a question for us. Luke. So go yeah.
1: ahead. I do. I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your guys' take on this. I don't know if like I, I watched three games. I don't know if this was consistent. You guys have obviously watched a lot more of the Broncos than I have. When I watched the offense, when I watched clips, when Javante Williams was in the game, I noticed he seemed to be under center, at, like, as as an under center back, a lot more than Melvin Gordon. I'm curious to kind of get your guys' take on that, because to me, that's actually easier for a running back, because you're actually now, you're able to have your eyes more or less on your keys because you know that the The exchange is coming at you, right? The kind of the first flaw of any running back is that they look at the mesh. You never want to look at the exchange point. You never want to look at the ball when the quarterback's giving it to you. You want your eyes already on your keys. You want your eyes already on your aiming points, and you're going to create a pocket for the quarterback just to be able to put the ball in there, right? So shotgun is is in vogue these days because it's easier for quarterbacks, right? Because you've got five yards from you to the offensive line, you can see a fuller picture. It's a little bit tougher for the running backs because it's not always the most natural path. Going under center, like this is the reason pistol became a huge thing is because you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? When a quarterback turns his back, it looks like run. So play action becomes a little bit more effective, but also the quarterbacks at that little bit of depth, right? So he can see a little bit more of the offense and the defense, I should say. So I'd be curious to get your guys' take if if that just happened to be, and again, I didn't track this, I didn't chart this. It just felt like Javante was the under center back a little bit more than Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon was the shotgun guy, because again, I, I think that kind of, helps him as a running back because it gives him a little bit more of a downhill. It gives him a little bit more of a clear picture.
2: That is something that it's actually interesting. Cause that's not something that I ever really noticed, like consciously, consciously, consciously noticed or charted or anything like that. Um, but going off of memory, I think earlier on in the season, it was definitely a lot more of that, of that um, uh, under center quarterbacks under center, center Javante Williams behind him and shotgun Melvin Gordon's next to him later on the season it seemed to kind of vary up a little bit more. I do wonder how much of that was dealing with the quarterback because it seemed to really change after um, Teddy Bridgewater got hurt and drew Locke came in um, who really did well out of who did all right out of shotgun. Well, mm-hmm. some of his best plays out of shotgun I should say which not hard to be um, but it seemed also seemed that part of it could be a situation of just. Growing and developing Javante Williams and by and getting him comfortable and then getting him to a point where he could be comfortable doing a little bit more asking a little bit more of him by moving to him off that offshoot running back and with with the quarterback in shotgun.
0: Well, to piggyback off of that, I think that what you saw a lot with the Broncos down the stretch was it was a lot easier for Drew to read the defense when he was back off of the line of scrimmage. It gave him a a more clearer picture for him. And with him, we all know how we feel about Drew um, and his inability to read defenses. When they actually moved him off the ball, that that helped him a lot. There were times specifically in the the Chiefs game in Week 17 where they had Drew under center in the red zone and the the Chiefs threw a 10-man box at him. They had one-on-one coverage on the outside with Tim Patrick and they still ran the ball with Melvin Gordon famously that play ended up being a fumble return for a touchdown. It was a 96-yard fumble return. So like that that could be a part of that. I don't know what games you watched, but to see that kind of uh that narrative, it's it's an interesting thing to look at. Like like Eric said, I didn't really conscientiously look at it like that. But I think another big aspect of that, not only is the quarterback able to, to read the field a little better, Drew Locke is actually a a fairly decent athlete. He can move on the run. Teddy Bridgewater is not that kind of a guy. So uh, maybe that might be something to add into there as well Is to, to, to see more of a Melvin Gordon as that, that early down back standing next to Drew Locke into the shotgun. And that's, he works better that way. Um, As far as Javante Williams goes, there was a couple of different miscommunication things that you saw with him where he was supposed to be lined up, as specifically the, the first Chiefs game. Uh, he was lined up behind guard, not behind the quarterback on a play. Um, it was a fourth down play that the, the Broncos ended up needing, uh, needing a, a touchdown or a, a score there late in the game uh, where Javante Williams was lined up in the wrong spot. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what to think of all of that. It's a very interesting point to notice, though. I'll have to take another look at that one of these days. And I know that's, that sounds like a very convoluted answer. I'm trying to gather all my thoughts on that because there's there's so many different ways to look at that because with the multiplicity of the Broncos offense, going back to the quarterback play and everything with the two running backs, I didn't really focus in on something like that. So just kind of throwing out some more thoughts there.
1: Yeah. And that can be for any number of reasons, the quarterback, the running back, the scheme they're running.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I just It was something I'd noticed and I was kind of curious to get your guys' thoughts on it. So I want to go back to the offensive line really fast here. As far as this uh, this wide zone is concerned, um, have you got a chance to really kind of break down what the what the players look like as far as the offensive line was concerned? Um, uh, Graham Glasgow, but, uh, specifically uh, maybe even a Billy Turner. I know you said you watched the the Matt LaFleur offense back in Green Bay from last season. Uh, what does Billy Turner's fit look like in this offense?
1: I'll be honest with you. I kind of focus more on like an overall offensive perspective for LaFleur. Um, one thing I noticed with them is they, they were very similar, right? They ran a ton of different schemes. Um, the one thing is, as, as I kind of watched film, the order I went in was Broncos offense, Seahawks offense to so watch some Russell Wilson and then Packers offense. And Broncos and Seahawks offenses looked not in terms of what they ran, but formations, right? How they lined up before the play, before the snap looked very similar, right? You had a lot of 11 personnel, one tight end, a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends. They did a lot of what we, what, Coaches would call a condensed split right where the receivers are kind of lined in right next to the tackles. So they, they did a lot of things that kind of look similar. And then you turn on the Packers tape and that looks very different. They line up in 21 personnel, which is not something I think I saw from either Seattle or Denver. They line up in empty, right? They do a lot of things offensively. And again, now that's hard for a defense to adjust to, right? Because you have to spend time throughout a week preparing for those, adjusting to all the different things you're going to see. Honestly, that makes it – usually that's going to make it easier on a quarterback because some of those looks are going to make it easier because the defense can only line up so many ways to a certain look. It's going to make things a little bit easier on the offensive line. But at the same time now, if you're going to run a million different concepts out of those different formations, the quarterback and the offensive line have still got to be pretty damn good to get all those concepts executed. So there's kind of a a trade off of back and forth with all that as well.
2: Yeah, real quick, we got from Kenneth Booker coming in with the – Super Chat. Thank you, Kenneth, for joining us. Uh, It says, an anonymous Denver O-lineman said that Javante tends to miss reads, and if he learned to make reads better, he could be the best running back in the league. And that was one of the things that I kind of touched on a little bit earlier when watching him last year is that there was a lot of times where he seemed to just hit the wrong hole, run into the teeth of the defense instead of finding the, the open pathway that was there, and at times it put a little bit more pressure on the offensive line because I mean, whenever the running back gets tackled for a loss or for a Short gain, the blame goes on the offensive line. Um, sometimes deserved, sometimes not. And what Javante didn't wasn't always deserved there. Um, but yeah, that definitely that definitely tracks with what I was able to see watching all the Denver games and everything. Um, there was just so many times where Javante just wasn't quite hitting it, and that could just be that issue of he's making this huge jump in level of competition to the NFL. I mean, again, talked about it before, even in division one Alabama jump into the NFL that's still a jump in competition Mm -hmm. Um, some players handle it just fine some players it takes a little bit of time most players it takes a little bit of time so we'll see how Javante is he should improve on it that's something that he can definitely improve on um go ahead since you're the coach here Luke if you got some thoughts on that
1: yeah I mean I think at the end of the day you you want to give enough information as a coach to be able to to get a point across, but you don't want to paralyze players, right? Paralysis by over analysis. You want to give them enough to get through the play. You want enough for them to say, all right, if this, this, or this happens, I know what to do. If the world's the wildest thing that happens, happens be an athlete, right? If the one thing that we don't expect them to do because it doesn't make sense because it's schematically unsound or it's, you know, angles unsound, then be an athlete. For me, when I coach running backs, and again, this was, it's been a little while for me, but, um, my kind of thought process with them, and I told him this was: look, for me, you guys are coachable through the line of scrimmage, right? I'm going to coach your keys. I'm going to coach your aiming points. I'm going to coach your footwork. Once you hit the line of scrimmage, once you break the plane of the line of scrimmage, be an athlete, right? Be the guy we brought you here to be. Go be a football player in open space. I, I, you know, if you if you use a spin move in the box and get your get yourself rocked, I'm going to coach you on that. But you're still coachable through the line of scrimmage, right? Once you get
0: past that, go be an athlete. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, let's pivot off of this really fast. It's been really good to talk to the, the running game, but um, like I said before, at the start of the show, I've got a film breakdown on Nick Benito, the edge defender that the Broncos took out of Oklahoma at the number 64 overall pick. And we were talking before we, we went live behind the scenes here with Luke, uh, specifically on his his running his, his play in the running game. And I was not a fan. Like, there's there's a lot of play strength issues. Uh, the lack of length is something to, to be concerned about. But the one thing that you do notice when you watch him is the fact that he's such a good slasher. And there are some plays where he does a really good job with his technique as far as keeping his out, outside hand free. Now, Luke, as far as Nick Benito was concerned, you remember you were talking about uh, the, the run fit, specifically on the, the 4-3 over front or a guy that's a walk-up linebacker. Can you explain that just a little bit for everybody?
1: yeah definitely so so when when you're structuring things from a defensive perspective you need to have like a container force player right a guy whose job is to set the edge on the defense to redirect and to make sure that the ball does not get outside of him he has got to make sure that everything stacks up inside of him it gets knocked back in because that's where his help is right it's not like he's on an island he'll have a you know if it's if it's a yeah, say like a three by one offensive formation right there's three guys to the field one guy into the boundary that's the wide receiver if you're that guy you're the you walk up outside linebacker just inside of that sure, you're gonna have a corner and potentially a safety depending on the coverage behind you but realistically if you're the if you're the contained player you need to knock everything back inside because that's where all your help is so when you're doing that the most important point is you want to keep your outside arm free right as soon as that outside arm gets blocked or that gets occupied by the blocker then you've lost contain, right? That's what we kind of talked about from the offensive perspective of being reached. So one reason I kind of think that the three down defense is kind of coming into vogue so much these days is when you play a three down defense, you're going to have a defensive end who's lined up in more than likely one of two specific alignments, but possibly a third. Those are a four, a four tech where he's aligned head up on an offensive tackle, a four eye where he's aligned just inside of that kind of over the like the inside shoulder of the tackle, or he's a five, right? Where now he's on the outside shoulder of the tackle. That one's way less common. So more more often than not, you're going to have a four or a four eye. So those defensive ends, their responsibility for the most part is going to be to play the B gap, right? There, if I'm if I'm lined up over the right tackle, the ball is to my uh, to my right. I'm thinking about this from a defensive perspective, right? The B gap is the gap just to my right. So that's easy for me to step in and occupy that gap. If there's any kind of run at me, I can step into that. And now that's really created a difficult angle for the offensive line because now they have to double that out to a stand up, you know, a walk up edge defender outside of me who's the contained player. So three down creates a lot of issues for an offensive line because it creates unfavorable angles. Right. That's a tough double team for them to double a guy who's right there to a guy who's just outside of him. Normally when you double team, you want to be able to double team someone on the line of scrimmage through a second level defender, a linebacker, right? Because you now can displace that guy vertically. It's hard to displace a guy horizontally on a double team. So most offensive lines are going to say, well, we're not sure we can double team this. Let's just single block the defensive end with the guard and now send the tackle out to the walk up edge linebacker. So when it comes to like outside zone, that's a tough picture for them, right? Because it's putting a lot of stress on the offensive line. And so even for a guy like Benito, again, is he going to be able to win against every offensive tackle in the NFL? Absolutely not. He's, he's undersized, right? He's going to have issues with bigger offensive tackles in the league, but the angles in a three down defensive, if, if that's what Denver chooses to kind of live in, that's going to give him a lot of support because at the end of the day, then that's a harder angle angle for a tackle. And as long as he keeps that outside free, Outside arm free knocks everything back inside. He's done
2: his job. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's definitely some really good points there. And Denver, I mean, for all, I mean, I've hounded on Nick Benito and his run defense. Lance has, Nick has. We we all have some from the moment Denver drafted him. That was our big concern there. And one thing too that consistently goes unmentioned with this is that Denver has the ability to give time to him, using him as a pass rush specialist early on. Which, with his bend, his explosion, and athleticism, he can bring. Is with they can give him the time to work and improve as a run defender with Randy Gregory with Bradley Chubb. You just want to, you just the concern is that you don't want them to get hurt, obviously, for their sake, obviously, and also for Nick Benito because you don't want him out there before he's ready to handle the NFL running game. Um, go, going back to the offensive line, um, real quick because we had a couple questions on it. I wanted to get Lance's talk on this for a second travis weber came in and says another question for luke eric and lance give me your starting offensive lineup um i think luke will probably bow out of this question just because he's not very familiar with the the current landscape for the offensive line but for me how i think this offensive line is going to start right now based on everything i've heard is left tackle garrett bowls that's the one position i think is 100 cemented in yeah then you have your left guard which there is a seems to be a competition there but it seems to be Dalton Reisner's job to lose. And if you lose it, it's probably Tom Compton. I still think Dalton Reisner the guide there for now. We'll see what happens. Center, I think it's going to end up Lloyd Cushenberry. I think the main battle is between Graham Glasgow and dealing with his height with, for Russell Wilson or Lloyd Cushenberry and dealing with his issues. And I think that they're going to stick with the issues there. Luke Wattenberg, I don't think is ready yet. And I think Quinn Miners is not cemented at guard. I just think that's where they'd prefer to keep him. He still has a chance at center though. Um, simply kind of making this uh, the um, the word totally escaped me now. Um, the The compromise of good player and height, Quinn Miners, is kind of the compromise between Cushionberry and Glasgow, and then Billy Turner at left tackle. So, Bulls, Reisner, Cushionberry, Miners, Turner.
0: I'm surprised you kept Cushenberry in the starting fold there because I'm going to go in a little bit different direction here. I think that Dalton Reisner might be a little bit more on the hot seat than everybody wants to, um, wants to kind of put out there. Um, He, he was, He's been playing pretty well. Let's let's be honest. He hasn't been playing the greatest. He's been playing pretty well. I think that there's a lot of issues. His rookie year, he was kind of compensating a little bit for Garrett Bowles and the struggles that he had on on the left tackle side. But then the his second year, he was kind of compensating a little bit for the center issues with Lloyd Cushionberry. And then again this last year with Lloyd Cushionberry, but it hasn't really come together for him. So I think there's a conversation to be had with him and Tom Compton, or even potentially Graham Glasgow on that center position. Garrett Bowles to me is a lock. Let's let's be really here. Like that's that's the guy we all know Garrett Bulls let me thump my chest one time the all pro left tackle that's that's the guy there I think that Reisner might still be able to, to win that position, but he's going to be a, a tough fight for him between Compton and with Graham Glasgow. Now, the other one is going to be uh, with Lloyd Cushenberry in the center position. I think that he's pretty much done. I think Quinn Miners is going to be a perfect fit there. And then Tom Compton at the right guard, Billy Turner at the left guard. So you could see the, the line. This is what I'm going to find, finalize my, my prediction. At, is Garrett Bowles, uh, Dalton Reisner, Quinn Miners, uh, Tom Compton, and then, uh, uh, Billy Turner on at the right tackle position, and give a shout out to to Calvin Anderson, who everybody seems to think that he's got a, a pretty good opportunity to win that right tackle spot. But that's where I would go.
2: Now, just ba- just based off what I heard, it seems like Graham Glasgow is either center or right guard. Tom Compton's either right as t- right tackle or left guard. Doesn't seem like he's going to be in part of the competition there at Wright Garden. Same thing with Graham Glasgow at left, well, and Calvin this... Anderson. He's basically cemented. He's the backup swing tackle. He's basically. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, this isn't a fair conversation then, because if you're going to pull out your sources and stuff like that, you t- you asked me for my prediction. I'm giving you my prediction. You're going to throw out. This isn't fair, <laughs> Luke. Tell him off, please. <laughs> Not uh, for real though. We got a couple of super chats here. I want to grab here. Kenny jumping back in here, uh, saying, uh, "What is Randy Gregory capable of just based on his traits, Eric?"
2: I mean, his pass rush win rate, his ability, his pressure rate, like was just insane for as little as he's played. If he stays healthy out there, I mean, he could be a great pass rusher in the NFL. I don't want to say one of the best because, I mean, you got the Bosa brothers, Miles Garrett, you've got some outstanding edge defenders out there, but he could probably be there towards that top end of that second tier of edge rushers in the NFL. If he's able to stay out there on the field and stay healthy, um, super super good athlete he's got pretty good strength he's pretty good athletically there's some issues there against the run but he's not as bad as some other guys malik reed in particular that's the biggest one you wanted to upgrade against the run. and nick benito as much crap as we give him he's much better as a run defender than nick than malik reed is yeah. uh, but randy gregory i mean yeah i mean athlete strong so quick And he's one thing that's under, I think, undersold with him is that his hands are violent. And that's something that you like to have from your edge defenders. He doesn't like when offensive linemen's hands get on him and he's consistently swiping to get them off of him.
0: Yeah. Another thing that you got to focus on with Randy Gregory is his ability to dip his shoulder down with his his hips are super flexible and his ankle strength like when he leans into into a blocker his ankle strength to be able to drive and push through that with that ridiculous bend in his play strength is so much fun to watch go back to his tape at Nebraska where he was just dominating people and he probably would have been a first round pick if he wouldn't have gotten all that trouble. We're dealing with a shoulder injury. Obviously, we have the the surgery. He's got to kind of get through. I don't think that that's going to be a problem with him going into uh, going into the 2022 season. But there is something definitely to to look at there. I think that Randy Gregory, like Eric said, probably the top end of the tier two level. Um, you're like. Where Von Miller was at last year, the, the last eight game stretch where he had nine sacks in eight games, you're probably not going to see something like that. But if you can get a, a good stretch of the similar play that Von Miller had when he was in Denver, the ability to, to play against the run, which isn't necessarily great, but the ability to get after the passer on every single down, his 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 play strength, his speed, his freak athleticism, like there's a lot that you can work with there. Uh, so I, I like Randy Gregory, especially as a fit in this defense. Uh coming I'm, up next year. Oh, we'll, go ahead, Eric. Sorry. Well I we'll
2: wanted to grab place. this one too real quick so we can get off the offensive line. Peter Middleton says who's your surprise roster cut or surprise starter in this offensive line? Um as much as I, I liked him coming out of college, he fell for medical reasons. He just doesn't fit with what the what the offense wants to do. And his arms are ridiculously short. Natani Moody is my yep. surprise roster cut. And surprise starter, um, I, I think Tom Compton could be a, would be the only real option here. I think that he's got a decent chance at right tackle, but he's got a and a decent chance at left guard as well.
0: I, I still think Quinn Miners at center. Like that would be a surprise to me. I think that you probably keep him at, at the right guard position, but if there was a, a chance for a surprise, it so, would be Quinn Miners at the center position.
2: So you're willing with Russell Wilson in town, you're willing to move a guy who was fine at right guard, showing his growth at right guard to center position where he had issues snapping the ball and making the proper reads for the offensive line to being the center position for Russell Wilson.
0: So I guess the the thinking behind that is there's at least room for him to grow. And with uh, Russell Wilson being as short as he is at the quarterback position, Graham Glasgow is six foot six. Lloyd Cushionberry's liability in the pass game and the running game. So you've got a guy that plays with physicality. You've got a guy that plays with good strength. You've got a guy that plays with good athleticism. He can get out and run you can learn it, it with having a veteran quarterback behind him that can help him understand those line concepts and stuff like that, that can help that communication help reset the line protections at the line of scrimmage. Like that to me is a, is a better fit because there's just so much more moldability with him. He's a ball of clay at this particular point. So that to me makes the most sense. And if you're going to let Tom Compton and, uh, and Graham Glasgow battle it out at right guard, or even the left guard spot with, with uh with Dalton Reisner, I would go in that direction just specifically based on those factors. I, and I hope that, I hope that line of thinking and Luke, please, hopefully that line of thinking makes sense to everybody. Well,
1: first and foremost, you asked me to, to, to check Eric here. I've been trying for years, man. and I haven't gotten through. So <laughs> uh, the, the one thing I will jump in with this is, is this, you know, people talk about Peyton Manning being incredible at the line of scrimmage because he was, and he was able to reset protections and get the, the offense into the right look. the, a guy like Russell Wilson is going to be able to come in and do that, right? He's going to recognize the defense. He's going to recognize where a blitz is coming. He's going to see the the coverage. He's going to be able to shift protections and get the offensive line to be on the same page. You know, if there's a blitz coming, he's going to identify it, right? He's going to slide the protection to it. That's fine. He's, he's going to have to do that with all three of the centers that we're talking about right now. Right? Because none of them have worked with Russell Wilson before we're talking about Glasgow, Cushenberry, minors, right? None of them have done that before. The only difference is Miners has never done that as a center before. And here's the other thing that I don't think people talk about enough. The offensive line still has to communicate, right? If you're running inside zone left and you get up to the line of scrimmage, you still have to talk through, I'm doubling with you. You know, you're going to be single on this guy, whatever the case is. Power, hey, I'm doubling back through here. We're going to identify this guy as, you know, when when teams call the mic, that's how, when when they say, you know, number 50 is the mic, 50 is the mic that's telling the entire offense hey we're setting our run scheme off of this guy a lot of the time if it's power they're gonna they're calling that guy out and saying hey we're pulling for this guy and everything else goes off of the protections or off of the the blocking scheme from there right if it's pass protection and you know they're based on the protection either they're sliding to that guy or away from that guy right Who's who's calling the mic in the offense? I would venture to guess it's gonna be Russell Wilson, right? He's exactly. gonna identify that guy as the protection. He's gonna be smart enough in the run game to say, hey, you know, again, if it's power, right, and we're pulling for number 50, he's gonna say, hey, 50's the mic, 50's the mic. That's gonna allow the offensive line from there just to say, all right, we know 50's the mic. I've got a one tech here. That means the center of the guard are gonna double that guy back through the next linebacker, the left guy's guard's gonna pull for number 50, right? So a guy like Russell Wilson. The nice thing about him is he he takes a lot of stress off the shoulders of the center because he's going to do so much in, in terms of identifying that guy in the run of the pass game. Your issue really is going to be making sure that guy's on the same page with Russell Wilson. Like Peyton Manning famously was kind of a jerk about that. Like he, when, it, when a guy came in and um, read a great article on this not that long ago, Dan Kopin, um was a center who came over from the Patriots. He'd worked with Tom Brady. He gets into the room with, with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning asked entirely different things of him. He had a great anecdote about. Um, I think he got hurt in training camp for the first couple of weeks of the season or something like that. Came into the starting lineup late in the year, and Peyton Manning, you know, in practice one day, audibles, hey, yellow, yellow, yellow. They hadn't audibled yellow as a protection since they installed it the day back in training camp. That's that's what elite quarterbacks do. Is they're gonna make they're gonna they had the access to the everything they need, the full arsenal of stuff. Are the set is the center in front of them gonna be able to work with them? And understand what that means. That's a different question.
2: Yeah, that, that's just, actually a good point there. I mean, having that thing, I, it's just, I don't know, I just look at it a little bit differently. Trusting, I mean, you're going to be trusting Quinn Miners no matter what for Russell Wilson. It's just moving him to that new spot, which, hey, it's a new feel. I mean, we talk about interior offensive linemen basically being interchangeable. You still have to learn a little bit, some differences, some variations there. One of the biggest being snapping the ball may not be what what russell wilson will want to deal with but michael ronquillo came in with a 20 donation saying great show tonight lance eric with coach luke on dove valley deep divers let's write and go broncos thank you michael we appreciate your support Thanks. not just tonight but every single night not just Dove valley De- deep divers but every single show you're consistent you're definitely one of the stars of the huddle up podcast network
0: yeah, Michael's, Michael's a, a great supporter, man. I, I wish we get an opportunity to meet you sometime. It, go down to one of these mile high huddle meetups. Like last year, we did the one at the at, uh, at the Jets game. I know that there was one in Vegas to, to be able to meet some of these, some more of these people. You need to organize another one of these things and have a lot more fun with uh, with the, the rest of the community. We thank everybody for joining us in here on the Dove High Deep Divers podcast. Now, uh, last couple things here before we get out of here. So guys, if you have any questions for Luke, make sure you get them in Super Chats, get your stars and stuff like that. Uh, we finally I got scout uh scout kennedy scott uh behind the scenes here to help us kind of moderate the chat just a little bit so thanks scott for joining us finally geez i can't believe you're late dude no, i'm just playing but uh <laughs> uh any questions for for luke specifically regarding the scheme anything we've discussed over tonight so far make sure you get them in super chat get your stars donations and stuff like that we'll answer as many as possible now i want to pivot here actually eric what do you got you're dying to well, speak here
2: the other aspect of what i asked luke to look into was the receivers primarily yeah. how they how they fit with russell wilson now russell wilson notoriously doesn't like the middle of the field whether it's because he's been behind tall centers all his career at uh in seattle with pochick or yeah ethan pochick mm-hmm. um and then the guy before him both of them were like six foot five six foot six um or just preference or whatever the case may be he doesn't like to target the middle of the field nathaniel hackett's offense with what we saw in Green Bay, something he's bringing over the passing game there, as he's kind of touched on a little bit, didn't really like to target the middle of the field a whole lot. Nathaniel Hackett spoke on it about targeting and attacking the boundaries. So these receivers, any receiver hurt by the potential um, lack of desire to attack the middle of the field?
1: I mean, based purely on the desire to not attack the middle of the field, you'd have to say Jerry Judy by default, right? He's the slot receiver. Yeah. That being said, I think he translates incredibly well into the offense. I think he's dynamic. I think he's a matchup over the middle. I think he's, I, I, excuse me, I think he's a matchup issue over the middle, right? I think he's going to give linebackers and safeties and even nickel corners to what extent they get used. I think he's going to give them issues because he's incredibly sudden, right? So when I talk about being sudden, that means a receiver who's able to change direction with, Limited to no wasted movement, right? That he's able to be fluid in and out of breaks. He's able to step on defenders' toes and challenge them vertically and then snap that off. So to me, when I watched his tape, I thought he was really dynamic. Honestly, I don't know what the situation was last year. He feels a lot farther now, having watched his tape, than the bust that I know people have kind of started to think of him as. I like, again, he's a dynamic playmaker and I'm curious to see how they use him. The one thing I will say that Lafleur seems to really love is and i don't want to call these simple concepts by any means like they're in the nfl teams run them in high school college the nfl like a concept's a concept like even this you know the kind of the 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 one thing that always cracks me up is in the pre-draft process whenever they get the quarterbacks on the whiteboards and they say all right explain your favorite play number one every quarterback goes on there explains four words if you've ever noticed that every single quarterback talks about a deep their deep their favorite deep concept but concept because chicks take the long ball but also like because four verts, like even even in and of itself, right, is still an incredibly complex concept, right? Because you're still reading safety rotation. You're still going through a, a progression. So I don't want to call these easy concepts by any means, but you've got things like stick, snag, slants, like your white cross, a lot of really classic kind of quick game concepts that are designed to get the ball out in rhythm, but also some full feet full field progression reads that are pretty universal right like white cross we think of as being the mike leach the air raid play all it is is it's a full field progression going back to a drag and a dig like that that is a pretty universal nfl concept like sean McVay has made a killing in los angeles being able to hit the backside dig on things so to me in terms of concepts there's a lot of stuff in there that's going to be really quarterback friendly there's nothing in there where he's going to have to do too much to me a lot of those things seem like quick and easy things where Hopefully you can get into camp you can get through the first few days of camp and make sure hey we're going to make sure Russell Wilson is on the same page with Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Duty, Judy because these are all incredibly quarterback and receiver friendly concepts that again most teams universally are going to run we're going to package them differently we're going to call them different things but hopefully you guys should have all run these since you know kindergarten right these are base. these are base football concepts
2: and so one I- thing that you mentioned that stands out is quarterback friendly um, Aaron Rodgers, when he's been asked about Nathaniel Hackett, it, it was always quarterback friendly. You're talking about the offensive scheme there in Green Bay, quarterback friendly. Russell Wilson, in one of his press conferences here after he got after he arrived, he was talking about how the offensive scheme that they're working on putting together him and Hackett and um, James Justin Justin Allen Justin, Justin Allen um, is quarterback friendly, and that's something that they obviously wanted to do. Um, but yeah, with Jerry Judy, I mean, obviously it points that. He's going to be he's a slot receiver. He's going to be used most sort of to attack the middle of the field, but it's not all he can do. I mean, he can do so much for an offense. That's why when he came out, he was viewed as not just a slot receiver, but as a boundary slot, that versatile guy that can move in and out depending on your, your the look you want to give them. And that's something that I'm pretty sure we'll see with KJ Hamler in town as well, depending on his health. Expectations will be ready to go for the season, is just see plenty of variation. So I don't think that any of the wide receivers really take a hit. I think the bigger hit is going to come from the tight end position and their utilization in the passing game. Um, But Lance, you had something.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, and Travis, we'll get to this here in just a second here. you know, Let's do this first and get Luke's intake, and I'll get this question in here in a second. But Travis jumping in here saying, uh, Luke, how do you feel about Denver wanting Baron Browning into the mix of outside linebacker and edge rusher? Do you agree or disagree, or should they be better off keeping him inside? Now, uh, Baron Browning, I'm not sure, Luke, if you've got a chance to take a look at him, but uh, we're, we're talking an incredibly athletic kind of a kid. So uh, he, he could play on the outside, play on the inside, pretty decent pass coverage what do you think about that idea
1: yeah so to be honest i have i didn't watch him in 2021 this is going to be kind of a, a take based on his ohio state film um from the from the pre-draft process or from from the draft process i should say um to me the only thing that's logical there is if you feel like you've got the guys at inside linebacker that you want to keep developing him at outside linebacker because realistically once he moves position if you were to move position to inside linebacker just as if you were to move position to cornerback or running back right anytime you move a guy from one position to another which i'm not suggesting moving him to either of those two things i'm just saying that you'll kind of see that a little bit more at the college or high school level right some of the base, base athleticism translates right like there is absolutely no difference on how a wide receiver is pressed by a cornerback as opposed to how a you know an edge rusher gets off of a tackles block right there are certain things to fund them to football that are fundamental universal athletic things but so much of what defensive players are asked to do now with their eyes and their hands, in terms of where they're putting their eyes on their keys, in terms of how they're using their hands, taking on blocks, those can change pretty dramatically inside to outside to me. And again, this is, this is not based on any kind of evaluation of the talent of either position Denver feels a lot deeper at outside linebacker right now than they do inside linebacker. So to me that, that says that either they don't see Browning being a part of the equation this year at outside linebacker, and they're happy to, keep him there for a year and develop him or they say hey we've got enough at inside linebacker we don't need him there we can let him develop at outside linebacker or they say hey this is a guy who's such a good dynamic playmaking athlete that we're okay with living with some growing pains if we have to move him back to inside linebacker i can't say which one of the three it is but it's in my opinion almost always is going to be one of those three things
2: and with him is there's just this hybrid role that they want him to play he'll still play off ball he'll still play edge and for me, based off of some conversations, based off of how they've talked about it, it seems like with his athleticism and his versatility, they just want to keep him on the field. They want to teach him basically to be this, multi, this multi-tool, this multi this Swiss Army pocket knife kind of thing, and just leave him out there on the field, which kind of comes back to Jeff Noyes' question is, how many linebackers will Denver utilize in their base defense? Well, the projection is, based off what the Los Angeles Rams have done, based off of comments From um, Evro is that their base defense is going to be a five one five look, so not much need for multiple linebackers there. And with with Browning, he could be possibly one of those edges at times, or he can be that extra, be that inside linebacker, and just really lean on that athleticism that he has.
0: Yeah. Hey, Jeff, that's a that's a great question here. I got another good one for you, Luke, before we round this out and kind of get out of here. We're almost at an hour, but I want to go back to the, well, Michael Ronquillo says I like our new special teams coach, Dwayne Stukes because he's bringing nasty back into the special teams for the Denver Broncos. And Luke, I know this pulls at your heartstrings because linebackers and running backs, they don't matter unless they're playing special teams and then they matter a lot.
1: Well, as a new as a new special teams coordinator, just don't don't even ask me how much running backs and linebackers matter because those are <laughs> those are some of your best guys on special teams. Uh, no, special teams is awesome, and like special teams, I think is so overlooked and so underrated as a key component of the game. Like it is, it's a third of the game. Um, and again, like what I was saying before, like the fundamentals of football translate on special teams. Like to me, you take punt is kind of the consummate ultimate special teams play, which. Not really, many people are going to think about it that way. But it is at its core, at its at its heart, it is an offensive play, right? You've got ten guys who are gonna who are gonna block, or they're gonna get downfield, and you want to protect as long as you can so that a guy can get rid of the football, right? That sounds like offense. But as soon as that ball leaves the punter's foot, now you've got eleven guys running down the field trying to make a play on the ball carrier, which sounds like defense. To me, offense and defense uh, are, are and special teams. Special teams is just an extension of offense and defense. It's just a, an extension of what a team does in a football game. Um, again, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I have to be. It's on my business card. Um, but no, special teams is awesome. And, and I don't think people give it enough credit. Honestly, if I'm being honest with you guys, like NFL special teams by and large are not the most exciting schemes in the world, right? Everyone kind of runs to some extent a vanilla kind of version that is more or less like the next guy on the block. So what really separates that is going to be the players that you can put on special teams, the, the impact that those guys
0: will bring. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way to break that down. Um, Peter Middleton jumping in here. I'm surprised with some of the recent cuts, uh, Andre Mintz and Sean Beyer, especially Eric, any thoughts?
2: I mean, I think that they were both kind of expected. Sean Beyer, it seemed like there was hype for him entering last year, but it didn't ever seem to materialize. Um, And then Andre Mintz, is a situation of they just brought in Nick Benito, they signed Chris Allen, they brought in Randy Gregory. They're they have depth at the position to for competition sakes or for competition sake. And Andre Mintz just kind of just is a little cleaning up the clutter a little bit. They needed to clear up a little bit of room because they only had 10 roster spots open and they signed 13 college free agents, so they had to open up some extra space for it. I think they're currently. At 89 players, and they still have two of their draft picks assigned, so they might still see one cut unless I miss something.
0: Yeah, um, I, w- I want to jump back into this really fast the whole Jerry Judy conversation before we grab uh, uh, Peter, I know you've got another UDFA question and post it again here really fast at the bottom, and we'll uh, we'll answer that here in a, in a second as well. But I want to go back to Jerry Judy really fast there with the with. This Nathaniel Hackett offense, the the Matt Lafleur offense, you know, with the way that the the Packers were able to utilize a guy that's a, a quick twist route runner with a little bit bigger body than what Jerry Judy has in Devontae Adams. Do you think, Luke, that this could be the role for Jerry Judy specifically? Like, look at what Devontae Adams was able to do in the red area, like where they where they motioned him across the line of scrimmage, get a quick out and uh, quick up and out you know, get him out into the flat, get the ball into his hands quickly and let him kind of create a, a, at the second level. Is that something that we could see with the, with the Broncos utilizing Jerry Judy more than like a Cortland Sutton or a Tim Patrick?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing that the Packers have done really consistently over the last few years is, is in my opinion, they've been one of the most creative teams in the league in the red zone um, is just how much they do. That gives a defense issues with being, being able to use they're guys, right? They're playmakers. And, and to me, kind of as I went back and watched the film, the Packers do so many different unique things. Like they had um, Alan Lazard, right, who's this the, the big-bodied wide receiver. They had him as the puller on counter, right? Like that is such an kind of an alien thing to do because that's normally a tight end or a fullback who's going to do that as the guy who's going to pull across a formation and take on a linebacker. Now, if you look at the numbers, Lazard's 6'5", 227, but Cortland Sutton's 6'4", 216 tim patrick 6'4, 212. like if you want to get non-traditional if you want to get exotic and funky you could probably do that with those guys so that to me is is i'm very curious to see just what hackett does lafleur obviously moves his pieces around he's going to do what he can to maximize the components he's got to me at the end of the day any kind of offensive coach i i want to kind of look at them and judge them how do they what do they do to get the ball to their best playmakers how are they going to do that because at the end of the day, you can move chess pieces around, right? These are, we're talking about some of the best athletes in the game of football on the planet Earth. These guys can do a lot of things for you. Is Jerry Judy, from an athletic and a route running understanding capability standpoint, Devontae Adams? No, because Devontae Adams is a top probably one or two receiver on the planet. But can you move those chess pieces around and can you be incredibly creative with the way that you scheme things up to give him space, especially in the red zone? Yeah, no question. Like, Hackett's been doing that kind of at the knee of, again, like I said, LaFleur I think is a guy who's done that really consistently well over the last couple of years. All
2: right. So before we get out of here and wrap this up, going to put you on the spot again, record prediction for the season. What is it?
1: Oh man. Well, first and foremost, my brain always defaults to a, uh, to 16 game schedules. So <laughs> you, you guys got to remember, i am still, I'm still new to the 17 game schedule as well. Um, honestly, like, I'm I'm not just saying this. Everyone says that these days. AFC West is brutal, right? It is not even close to as smooth a journey out as it would be in the NFC South for the Buccaneers, right? So I don't know, man. I think it's it's gonna be I think it's gonna be a slaughterhouse. Um I think the AFC West is just gonna be an absolute bloodbath. I think any team that goes five hundred or better in the AFC West is gonna be really happy with themselves. Um, you know, ideally I think the ceiling for a a Russell Wilson led team is gonna be somewhere in the realm of like a 12 and six or 12 and six, 12 and five. See, I'm screwing it up. Um, But I think
0: I it's think all right. We, we were told there was going to be no math. You're fine.
1: <laughs> I know. First you spring the thousand yard season on me. Now this, um, but especially with a new head coach, new quarterback, and, and by definition, a very new offense, like I think they're going to be growing pains year one. And I think that's okay because this is not a team that has to win right now. I think honestly, some some challenges and some, some struggles for them to go through this year is going to serve them better in the long run. Um, So realistically, I think nine and eight, 10 and seven are kind of good, good targets to hit this year. Again, if they, if they come out and surprise really everyone and have a phenomenal year, I don't think 12, 13 wins are out of the question, but I I don't think a 10 and seven season is by any means a failing grade for them. I think that's still like they're, they're performing well at that point.
2: All right, guys. So if Denver does worse than nine and eight, make sure you hear, make sure you uh, get Atlanta or Luke for jinxing it. If they do just nine and eight or 10 and 10 and seven, Get out Luke for jinxing it, and if they do better, just get out Luke for how much he sucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the truth. No, for real, though, guys. Luke, we appreciate Luke, you joining. Luke, Luke is great, it's always fun to have him on because every time we have him on, I learn something new about like just conceptually understanding football. And we, we do a, uh, Eric and I do a great job of trying to understand as much as we possibly can. We we identify the traits and we talk about the players and stuff like that, but Luke does a really good job of pulling it all together. And like I said, when we were talking about Nick Benito earlier today and, and how the run fits and stuff like that, pull all together and why the the Broncos went in that direction, and how Oklahoma was using Nick Benito, it made so much more sense. It actually opened my eyes up to to his run defense, just a little bit more and to, to have his, uh, his expertise, uh, the the coaching expertise that he has is just always great. And late, uh, Luke, we really appreciate you for joining on with us, man. Thank you so much, man. Yeah.
1: As always guys, thanks so much for the opportunity to have me. Um, yeah. As Eric said, if you want to treat, tweet me any crap, feel free. My, my is at Nick Kendall, MHH. Um, no, <laughs> yes. Kidding, 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 kidding. Um, but as always guys, thank you so much for the opportunity to have me. I like, I love talking about football. I love getting to talk about the Broncos and, um, yeah, again, hopefully every time I come on here, I, I hope everyone can kind of learn a little bit more because I am by no means a football expert. Um, every time I get into a room with someone smarter than I am, I learn something as well. So um, I appreciate you guys. And like I said, I appreciate the opportunity to come on
0: and talk some ball. Well,
2: now, at least you know Lance always learns something.
0: Well, hey, hey, easy. <laughs> uh, you learn some stuff from me too, Eric. I know you do. Uh, maybe maybe my hot takery nonsense whatever the hell it's called, but uh, you at least learned something from me too. Anyways, guys, that's going to do it for us on the dove Valley deep divers podcast. Thank you all for joining us, by the way. And thank you for, uh, again, to Luke for educating all of us. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at Sanderson MHH for Eric (laughs) at Eric trickle. Notice the C K E L. uh, Get that spelling right. Because you can go and hound him like I do. Uh, And also at Luke pole glaze for coach Luke uh, at scout Kennedy for Scott, who joined the, joined the show late. And thanks for Scott, For joining us. Uh, Also, guys, make sure you guys are following at DVDD underscore pod. That's the podcast account where you're going to find out what we're talking about every single Friday night. Also, again, guys, at Mile High Huddle. That's the mother account where you guys are going to find breaking news and analysis regarding your Denver Broncos, film breakdowns, all of our draft content, everything that's going to go on over the offseason, stuff like that. You're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Um, also, guys, if you are financially able to do so, please head on over to huddleuppod.com. That's the merch tent, guys. That's where you're going to get yourself a hat. You've got a t shirt. You've got a, a face mask. You've got a coffee cup. There's a onesie for your baby if that's your bag, something for the guys, something for the gals. Anything that you would like to support your favorite show or Mile High Huddle in general, huddleuppod.com. That's where you guys are going to find it. Facebook supporters again, Facebook.com/slash/MileHighHuddlePod. Uh, it's a great way to help support the show on Facebook. Join into that conversation, get some new friends and stuff, new followers and stuff like that. It's a great way to h- kind of help tie our community together. And guys, if you're not financially able to do so, um, with super chats, go into the uh, go into the merch tent, anything like that. Three things everybody should be doing at this point. We've been three years on this podcast, going on four, it seems like. But uh, we we got subscribe, guys. Wherever you guys are watching this, YouTube specifically, but Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Periscope, on like it does not matter anywhere you guys find your Bron- your Mile High Huddle podcast. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle, like every video you guys see across all social media platforms, and if you love it, share it, guys. Share it out in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible, because without your guys' support, we could not do. What we do best which is cover your denver broncos now with that eric i usually throw it out to you first but i'm going to throw this one to luke first any last words before we get out of here man no honestly again just thank you guys for the opportunity always appreciate
1: it um always appreciate the platform you guys have and um yeah just putting up with me uh,
0: talking a little bit of talking a little bit of football for you well thanks luke uh, eric what's up dude
2: well in a way luke i mean this is a platform that you helped build i don't know if many people know this but Back when I first started, it was Chad, Luke, and I. Um, Not for Mile Eye Huddle, that eventually came a little bit later. I don't think you were ever officially part of Mile Huddle. I think you left. You were there at the beginning. I was
1: for like a couple months. Way at the beginning,
2: I could I could remember if you left just before, not long after it started, but. I mean, he's a good friend of it. I mentioned always godfather to my daughter, which some point he's got to come up here and visit her again. Hasn't seen her since she was a baby, and now she's almost five years old. Um, but uh, I think I think a fair trade here for getting you on the show is you coming for a visit, but we'll talk about that some other time. But Thank you guys for joining us. It's been awesome, and it's, of course, always awesome to have Luke join the show.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's always great to have Luke on. It's never great to have Eric on, and it's the worst thing ever to see my face. So, but uh, thank you all for joining us. Programming note: really fast, guys. Um, next week I will be on the show, but the week after that I will not be because I am going to be getting married on May twenty eighth. So uh, I will not be joining the show. But uh, it's it, making it will be a mistake. I don't know about that, you know, so the, the more that I that like the closer that we get to this, the first off, I'm so excited. But secondly, it's like the most confident in any decision I've ever made in my life. Like, quite honestly, I, I'm at that point where like, I know that this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I cannot wait for it to to just be done and over with because quite honestly, the stress going into it is really pumping up my blood pressure. But Anyways, guys, with that, we will see you all same time, same place next week here on the Dove Valley Deep Divers Podcast. You all stay safe and take care. Have a great weekend, and as always, go Broncos.
1: You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation
0: going.